Well, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And we will remain uh, tonight in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians for the entire message. So there uh, won't be any need for any PowerPoint or any scripture sheets or such as that. You can just flip around if you'd like to follow. We're going to stay confined to the book of Ephesians. As I have been studying through the book of Ephesians and God's just been ministering to my heart, uh, I just uh, felt very impressed to share with you uh, tonight as we look to the Lord's Supper together. Why the church? Why the church? That is the question uh, that we seek to answer tonight as we look at the book of Ephesians and, and understand that this book represents this monumental shift in all of time where the plan of God to broaden his scope, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians is, is unleashed upon the Gentiles. So the, the body of Christ in the book of Ephesians just becomes the, the complex, all-encompassing global entity uh, that it is and always was since the beginning of time intended to be. And it's just a glorious, magnificent book filled with encouragement. I encourage you to study it and meditate on it especially in these days as you pray for our fellowship I would encourage you to pray through the book of Ephesians it would be quite beneficial and helpful so let's begin reading Ephesians chapter 3 beginning in verse 8 the apostle Paul says to me I am less than the least of all saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of all ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him." Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Father, we ask you to use this text now to enlighten us, to open our minds to see the magnificence of your purpose and plan for the local body. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the, the comfort and the knowledge that we know the truth that is before us, God, is intended for us and it was spoken by you. And Lord, now may we respond accordingly as we hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I really want us to look primarily at verse 10, but I want us to think about uh, God's purpose in the church and why the church and what is the church. And and honestly, hope I hope that tonight as we look through these passages and as we focus on what the Bible says about the church, that we are all astonished really at two things. Number one, at how easy it is for us to take for granted the amazing blessing and calling that is the church's and is ours as part of the church. And the other thing is at the ridiculous nonsense that goes on around us that really just uh, it, it, that masquerades the church and almost just becomes normal. I mean, there's so many things that present themselves as the church that just don't even shock me anymore. 
You know, one of the things that utterly and completely annoys me to no end is the majority of church marquees. I, I don't know about you, but I literally, it's, I have to try hard to drive around Gulfport and not get angry. Because the things that churches put on their marquee just drives me crazy. You know, the, I was sharing with the, the, the church staff last week and we were, uh, having devotion together and I was talking about the nature of the church and just talking about, uh, us as a body. And I was, I was explaining to them that I have absolutely no desire to ever be part of a church where people aren't continually calling with all sorts of bizarre problems, struggling with things from drug addiction to homosexuality, marriages falling apart, all sorts of crazy needs and, and just completely uh, uh, dirty, disgusting things that no one wants to deal with or face. Because we know they're out there. And here's my question. Where would we like them to call? I mean, if the phone only rings and it's only us and it's only our little minor questions and sort of speed bumps in the road and we already know the Sunday school answers to everything, then what good is it? What are we accomplishing? I'm very grateful and very thankful when the Lord puts some unbelieving person with some terrible, horrific problem that no one wants to talk about or discuss in my path. And I want them to come and be part of my church. I want them to visit. I want them to sit. I want them to hear the gospel. I want to see them converted and plugged in and part of. And I don't necessarily desire to see them indoctrinated into the sort of the man-made concept that we all sort of look together the same, dress together the same, act together the same. Because it's just simply not reflective of the world in which we live. And it's certainly not reflective of what Scripture has to say about the church. Amen. Come on. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to scare you tonight. We're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. But I just want to remind you that uh, the Bible has some unbelievable things to say about the church. So let's look at this... Uh, uh, passage, verse 10. And let's just sort of take this thing apart and ask some questions. So the Bible says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So what is the purpose of the church? Well, first of all, this text clearly tells us by way of now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known what is the purpose of the church. It is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. And what's interesting about this is that this word in the Greek language, this word for manifold, is a word that is only found here in all of the Bible. Which, to those of you that aren't language geeks like I am maybe doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but to me, the, the fact that this hypox legomena is found here, this only singular time the word is used is utterly and completely thrilling and exhilarating to me. Because the way in which we find 
what the Greek language intended to mean here is by looking outside of the text to find how culture used this word. And when we do that, here's what we find. The word for manifold wisdom is used to describe in ancient Greek literature the complexity of a blooming flower. It's used to describe the intricate nature of embroidery. Now think about how amazing that is. That embroidery, which I am by no means an expert, but I have seen some very skilled people uh, work at that discipline. And embroidery is this beautiful sort of tapestry of color and, and various threads and things of that nature that are put together in such a way that by themselves they really don't amount to much. They really don't look like much. But when they're all sort of combined and woven together, what you have is this beautiful piece of art. Now, isn't it interesting that this is the word that Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, uses in this passage of Scripture. It's also found in literature to be used to describe the way in which gems would be placed within the crown of a king. Now that's exciting. Because that tells us that this wisdom is complex and unbelievable and magnificent at the very least. And this wisdom that it might be made known through the local church. That it, it, it defines or it illuminates, the, the church illuminates the infinite nature of God's wisdom, the beauty, the complexity, the magnificence, that, that we should be in utter awe of the wisdom of God. Now, this is in stark contrast to what we often find going on in the local church. Not this local church. So you can rest assured that that's the case because I'm still here. So we're good. Plus, I can scream at you twice on Sunday, so that's good too. But there's a lot of crazy things going on. And like I've told you before, that this past year as I've traveled around the state and ministered in all these various churches all around and big ones, small ones, and all different shapes and sizes, it's a scary world out there. There's, there's things going on that ought not be going on. There's this oppressive, irrelevant, legalistic, closed-minded country club mentality that just drives me insane. That somehow this is our little place just made for us and we're all going to sort of ride it out until we all get the glory together. And to which I say, has anyone read the Bible? The purpose of this place is to magnify the complex amazing intricacy and beauty of the wisdom of God to the world around us. That's the purpose. And here's the deal. You can do that whether your little church is off in the country somewhere with 10 members or whether it's some giant metropolitan church with 10,000. It doesn't matter. It's not about the people. It's about the Savior that died to make it pure, holy, righteous, and amazing for the world to see. That's the glory of the church. But there's this idea in our Christianity today that somehow we can have a fuller, more satisfying Christian 
life apart from the church. There's this movement, this underlying current that, that is really sort of in this, uh, uh, younger generation that really has this uh, rebel mindset that that wants to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not into the church. I'm into Jesus, but I'm not into the church. Now, when you begin to talk to somebody who takes this stance, or some of you, maybe many of you, have people in your your own family, you have loved ones, who sort of fit into this category. People who maybe came to church with you when they were younger, made a profession of faith, sort of went through this uh, process, but now are completely out of church. And so for the benefit of your own sanity, uh, you sort of just relegated that to, well, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're saved, they're a Christian, but, you know, they're just not really into the church. Well, I hate to break it to you, But according to the Bible, and especially according to uh, the book of Ephesians, Christianity, apart from the church, is at best open rebellion and at worst false damning religion. Now, I'm not saying that if you're not part of the church, you're not saved. Don't get me wrong. We're not going uh, back in time here. Because there once was a day when that was what you would hear uh, from the only church that was available. And no one would have a copy of Scripture. But that is no longer the case. But here's what I am saying. It is open rebellion at best. So a saved person apart from the church is clearly an open rebellion at best. And at worst, it is uh, false damning religion. It is just man's attempt to... Uh, not submit to the authority of the church, to do things the way we like it, to make things fit into our own sort of way. And what we and, and what they'll point their finger at the church and they'll say things like, well, you know, the church is filled with phony people who robotically follow this over-programmed methodology and it's boring and dull and they're just sort of riding it out until the end. Well, that may be true in a lot of places. But you see, that really doesn't have anything to do with the fact of what Scripture says. Now, does it? No. And so here, for us, I mean, we're not that place. I mean, my goodness, this place is awesome. You people are wonderful and magnificent. I love you and we encourage each other and God's doing amazing things. But at the same time, we also need to be reminded of why we're here and what we're here to accomplish and what God said about this place. So let's just sort of think this through for a minute. Let's just look at some of the, some of the linguistics in this passage and, and just watch this sort of come alive and get really, really big and take our idea of the church and hopefully wherever it is, expand it a little bit tonight. Let's ask this question. To whom does God want to make this known? Because I think that the, the knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, it, it must be, Brother Tony, the, the lost world. And it is the lost world, but it's not only the lost world, and it's not primarily the lost world. So, notice this phrase, to make known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, what does that mean? Because clearly, that's not the lost world. Some translations say rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What Paul is communicating, and if you read through the book of Ephesians, Paul uses this phrase, 
principalities and powers over and over. And when he does, he's always consistently referring to the same thing. The, the fallen demonic host and the angelic host in heaven. In other words, here's what, here's what Paul's telling us. The audience for the, the drama that is played out through the local church of the manifold wisdom of God being made known, the primary audience that is in view of this drama is the angelic heavenly host and the demonic hosts of hell. Now, think about this for a second. That in God's infinite wisdom, He chooses the local church to make known His infinite wisdom to the heavenly host through us. In other words, He is glorifying Himself to angelic beings through the local church. He is sending a message through the local church to the demonic hosts that war for control of your soul that He is one that is not to be reckoned with. That He will not lose. That He will never waver. That the gates of hell will never prevail against this institution that He established. Now think about this for a second. Because it's, it's an amazing thing to just think that we exist to reveal this glory about God to the lost world. That is amazing. Because you could sort of get off on a rabbit trail and me and you could have a conversation and we could talk about how the lost around us are in some ways maybe dependent upon the local church, maybe in need of the local church to accomplish certain things, to do certain things. Think about the pressure that would put on us. Think about the, the immense, uh, just, you know, good grief. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Well, forget that. We're talking about an angelic, heavenly, demonic host that is looking at the local church and being continually astonished and reminded of the unbelievable power and wisdom of God. I mean, does that not astonish you? I mean, think about this. Before we were, before we were, just play this through in your mind. Imagine the, the scene in heaven as the news breaks that there's going to be this creation in the image of God on this little, you know, swirling ball of dirt. And here's what we're going to do. And we begin to read through Genesis. And we're reading through Genesis with these corrupt eyes of flesh that see this sort of this story of us. But back away from that for a second and think this through. That what God is doing is as He is telling this story, He is glorifying Himself to what we're unable to see by taking these fallen, rebellious, really worthless creatures redeeming them through the death of His Son and then knitting them together, 
giving them His Word as a blueprint for what to do, and then unleashing that on a lost and dying world and just watch it go. That's unbelievable. I mean, if you if this is all you got, here, here's what would have to happen. If this is all we got tonight, you can't come in here and just plop down and just humdrum along. Sing a couple things, sit down, doodle while I'm preaching. When I'm done, get up and roll out and, you know, eat that homemade soup that's at the house. You can't do that. That the glory of God is being portrayed through the unbelievable nature of the local church. When the church operates the way God intended for it to operate, think of what that says. Think of the power. Think of the unbelievable, astonishing Power of God's Spirit in a place that understood this one principle. What would that be like? To be the church that the powers and principalities marvel at. Now you're talking. I want to be a part of that church. I mean, I want to be involved in that. I just, I want to, I just want to sit and, and watch God go. That's amazing. The knowing of the manifold wisdom of God is, is meant to teach the powers. It's meant to teach the powers at B. To look at the church and be utterly and completely astonished. That this could be a place that only God could do this. Only God. You see, if we're just a group of people that belong to a thing and we give money and we build a building and we do this thing and we... Well, what are we doing? But if we're a place that only God could, could build. If we're a people that only God could knit together. Now, how does that happen? I can tell you how it doesn't happen. Let me tell you how it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen when some long-haired hippie surfer dude comes rolling into that little building over there and there's a whole bunch of, you know, sort of... uh, I mean, I've never even been north of I-10. I didn't even know y'all existed out here. I mean, what is this place? And I come rolling into church and here's the thing. How it doesn't happen is when you say, what planet is he from? You don't belong here. You don't fit in here. This can't be the place. I mean, what, what's where? Hey, we're not that kind of place. That's how it doesn't happen. That's not what happened. But see, when people begin to love me in a way I don't understand, suddenly I begin to see, whoa, there's something going on here. Because, I mean, I may not be the sharpest tack in the room, but I'm smart enough to know when I don't fit in. And I didn't fit in. Sometimes I still don't fit in. Amen? It's okay. I'm working on it. But here's the deal. We, the manifold wisdom of God is like the complexity of a blooming flower. It's like the complexity of threads woven together to make a beautiful picture. Those threads, if they're all the same color, make nothing but a blur. If they all look the same, there's nothing beautiful about that tapestry. 
but it's in the differences. It's in the vastness of the glory of God woven together in the local church that makes the heavenly host stand back and be astonished. Wow. So when is this supposed to take place? Because maybe, you know, Brother Tony, you're just crazy. I mean, you know, uh, that sounds good and everything, but you're in dreamland, you know? I mean, that, that just doesn't seem possible. Well, I'm glad that you said that because we, we want to take note of this one particular spectacular word that I'm just so overjoyed and so in love with that I can't even express it to you, where the Bible says in verse 10, to the intent that now... Oh, I mean, I think you ought to underline that, circle it, put a giant star on it. You ought to just like make a, make a fireworks display around that word. Cause that's just amazing. It's not later. It's not when we get to heaven. It's not some, it's now. It's today. It's here. That, that the church that Paul is talking about is the church that consists between the two comings of Jesus. In other words, that's us. That ought to be exciting because that's what God is calling us to now. Thank you, Lord, for that little word. Because if that word wasn't there, I'm sure that we could all work together without much effort and we could talk ourselves around all this because it's just too big. It's just too audacious. It's too glorious. It's just too magnificent. There must, something's got to be wrong, but it says now. It says now. So when is this going to take place now? Thank you, Jesus. Now. Well, how is it going to take place? I mean, how is this unbelievable manifold wisdom going to be made known? Well, it's pretty clear. There's really no way around it. So all the people that want to uh, engage in uh, churchless Christianity have a big problem because it says to the intent now, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. I mean, it's just right there. There's no way around it. Throughout Ephesians, it is clear as a bell. Later on in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Keep reading. To him be glory in the church. You see, Paul makes no bones about how this is going to take place and where this is going to take place. It's going to be in the church. So this pushes us a little bit beyond... Okay, a lot of the things that good things that we strive for, that we that we focus on. In other words, we do some great things around here. We 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 are great about, you know, working hard to to I want to preach biblical sermons. We have we have biblical Sunday school teachers. We want to teach our kids the Bible. We want to see people saved. We want to baptize new believers. We want to grow our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Those are good things. We ought to want those things. It's great that we are focused on those things. But this is beyond those things. This is more than those things. That to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which you're... Because I can ask or think all those things. This is past that, beyond that, that to Him be the glory in the church. The manifold wisdom of God is beyond what we're able to sort of manufacture as the things that we know need to be done. See, they do need to be done. But Paul is pushing the envelope. He's stretching our imagination to begin to think about what can be for the local church. 
What, what, what would happen to a church that embraces God's call upon them? That, that would, would sort of begin to wrestle through the reality that we are the instrument. You see, there's no other instrument. Think about this. It's only one. There's no other way. There's no other, there's no plan B. That's why God's so passionate about the church. Think, think about how does God refer to the church? As the bride. Why? Because it evokes passion. You see, any husband worth his salt is passionate about his bride. Jesus is passionate about the church. Jesus calls the church the bride to let us in, to get a glimpse of what the church is in the economy of God. Man, I could go all night. So let me just go quickly and give you a couple things to think about. Amen. Passion for the church must encompass passion to see the lost saved. And it must be a blanket passion for the lost. If it is polluted with some predetermined condition of the lost, it is negating the power and purpose of the church. Now, you need to think through what that, where that statement takes us. Because if in fact that is the case, then it could potentially put you and I in some uncomfortable situations. Because if you've been out there rubbing shoulders with the lost, you know what I know, and it's not a pretty picture. But consider these things for a second, okay? Salvation is in Christ alone, through faith alone. God redeems people most often in the context of the local church. That if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, then the lost encounter and are exposed to the hearing of the Word of God primarily through the local church. And so when a church has a passion to see the the lost saved, they have an understanding of the position that God places the church in and the calling of the body of Christ within that church to be about the, the, the working of God within the hearts, souls, and minds of people that we wouldn't necessarily fellowship with. Getting awfully quiet up in here. Just making note of it. My father-in-law would ask you if this thing working. So, so you see, no one believer can qualify as the bride of Christ. It, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work if we're not together. There's no Lone Ranger doesn't fit into this picture. It's it's in the diversity of his people that we pay tribute to the vastness of his grace. You see, we, we, we've got to, we, we've got to 
to live out our passions. We've got to think through what God's called us to and understand where that takes us and then prepare ourselves to receive the blessing that God has, has given. A church, a church must have a passion uh, that is made up of individuals who desire to be a part. It, it just absolutely has to. There... There could potentially come a day where a body like this, where every person who is not, not a visitor, not a guest, not somebody who's, you know, breezing through town or checking us out, but every person who's a part of this fellowship has a role to play, however small it may be. Every single person. Why does that seem so astonishing? To me, it just seems so simple. This is what I always say. I don't know any of you who would allow your children to live in your house and then when you said, you know, put the dishes in the dishwasher, them ain't my dishes. Say what? In other words, I'll clean my room, but I'm not cleaning the living room. No. In other words, that doesn't work in the context of family. Well, hello, we're a family. A passion for the church is a passion to be a part. It just is. A passion for the church is a passion to accomplish all things through the church. Now, just quickly, I want you to think about this. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians 1, verse 22. That he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words... What you and me hope and dream to accomplish together in the kingdom of God, we hope and dream to accomplish together in the kingdom of God through the context of the local church. That's how the Bible understands it's going to get done. It's not going to get done from you just out there doing your thing. It's going to get done when we cooperate together to accomplish this mission. You see, we we don't live our lives and then the church is part of it. The church is our lives and everything else is a part of that. You see, it's not... The church isn't part of the plan. The church is the plan. That's how Paul sees it. And as you, I pray, read through Ephesians and begin to look at what Paul says, it it is truly unbelievable what is available to us in Christ being the local church. Ephesians 5.27 says this, as we sort of turn our hearts towards the Lord's table, as we think about what we are most passionate about, and as we think about how that passion that we have flows through this body together, uh, think about this issue of the glory of God and its preeminence in our lives. Think about Paul's words, Ephesians 5.27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. May that be true of us. May we come before the Lord's table astonished at what God has accomplished, what God will enable, promise to enable, if we cooperate together with Him in His power and in His strength and under His direction, and the guaranteed, unlosable, un, 
unchallengeable glory that is to be received by those who are the bride of Christ. What a blessing that is as we think about His table, His blood, His body, His sacrifice, and on our behalf, our unworthiness. And listen, it's, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. It ought to just astonish us that God made a way of salvation for you and me. I mean, I, I just hope that we never get over that. But on, on top of that, it, that wasn't all. Then He put us together for His manifold wisdom to be displayed to all the heavenly hosts. What an opportunity. What a glorious position to be in. We don't need to bring anything. We don't need to work at anything. We don't need to conjure up anything. We just need to come and submit and say, God, here we are. Now lead us, guide us, direct us. We want to go where you call us to go. And may you create in us this beaming, magnificent megaphone of your manifold wisdom to all creation. Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord. And God, we humble ourselves before the word that we've heard. And God, as it has worked such a work in my heart, Lord, and as I have prayed and meditated and thought through these passages, God, and all that they mean to me individually as a member of this body, and God, how easy it would be for any one of us in here to begin to point fingers, to begin to pick apart, to begin to illuminate the things that maybe aren't the way we think they ought to be. And yet, God, when we look at the grand calling before us, when we realize that really it has nothing to do with us, that You, O oh Lord, You are the star attraction. You are the magnificent, glorious Creator and an instigator of this institution for your manifold wisdom to be known. God, help us. Help us to be about your business. Help us, Lord, to bring you glory. Help us, Lord, to love each other in ways the world can only be astonished at. Help us, Lord, to walk in places of obedience that we may not understand. But God, help us to come before you, spotless and without wrinkle. Oh, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. And Lord, if there might be one here today, one who's apart from you, God, would you make today the day of salvation? Would you save him or her now in this place, would you reveal to their heart the glorious nature of your love and may it be so overwhelming that they respond to you for salvation in Jesus' name.